And we're going to get into the, the beginning of the story of Elijah. And Bev is going to speak to us now. So if you'd like to come forward, Bev, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you for Bev. We thank you for the meditation she's had on your word and the person of Elijah. And Lord, help us to get a hold of what you're doing and what you're saying from his life to know how we should live by faith in you. We pray for your blessing and anointing on Bev. We pray you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Thank you, Lord. About 22 years ago, I I prayed quite a dangerous prayer. And um, my life had been fairly bonkers up until that point. Range of reasons. Um, Part of my upbringing, moving every year or two to a different place, um, being a missionary kid, um, getting very involved in politics in South Africa at a time that it was revolutionary. It wasn't sort of Westminster and polite politics. Um, got very involved in um, sin. Um, I explored the occult. I explored Islam. I spent about six months with a friend in a madrasa learning about Islam. I explored Hinduism. Um, I explored shamanism. Um, In fact, some of my friends are shaman priests back in South Africa. I explored all sorts of stuff. And as a result of that, sort of walked headlong into a fairly disastrous marriage, um, of which, in fact, was all a lie after seven years. The man was a bigamist. And just I'd lost a business. No, 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 no. Um, I'd lost a business. I lost a home. I'd lost the marriage. And in, in this period, I had come back to the Lord. And those people who had prayed for me um, since my inception. So and I sort of witnessed to that. Came back to the Lord. Um, in fact, when I was pregnant with Mitchell who's now 27, and sort of went through a period, nice churchy stuff, back with the Lord. And then one night I I was sitting with a friend, um, Joan, who's now with the Lord. And I remember saying, you know what, Joan, my prayer is that every little bit of this bonkers life is used by God. That everything of this bonkers life Every experience, every nuance will be turned around for good. That I want to hurt the kingdom of darkness in a very real way. Because I got trapped. And I want to turn it around. And I want God to use it. And why I mention this is because as I have meditated on this word, so much has come back to memory. Um, But equally, I was at a funeral of another friend, and this is the sort of prophetic bit, and sitting there, I looked up, and it was a a requiem mass, I'd never been to one, very dear friend, um, had died suddenly, and I was at this requiem mass, and looking up was this sort of... um, 
wall hanging that said, My Redeemer Lives. And this has been a theme song in my brain, um, on my heart for about six, seven weeks, My Redeemer Lives, <coughs> from um, Job. And at that point, the bell started ringing from this church. And I nearly fell off my chair because they were so loud. And the Lord just said to me, you know what? And this is a prophetic word. It's, it's confirmed across the United Kingdom in all denominations. Sitting there, the past was being buried. It had been buried. And the bells were ringing out proclaiming my redeemer lives christ jesus lives it is finished in this nation so amen to the street preaching and the walkings and the prayers and everything there's a new traction in the spiritual realm where our prayers individually matter in a big way okay so elijah let's get started on elijah and you'll see what I said at the beginning sort of weaves into some of the story. It's getting started, 1 Kings 17, um, 1 to 16. So what we see here is the build-up to Elijah's sort of entrance, and, and sort of quite a spectacular entrance in a way. We had, after Solomon, the breakup of the nation. We had the southern kingdom. Um, which was Judah, had 17 rulers. Eight followed the Lord, but nine were wicked. Yeah? And honestly, you should read some of the stuff. It, it makes EastEnders pale in comparison. The northern kingdom, um, Israel, had 19 monarchs over about a 200-year period. And it actually says repetitively, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord? These were bad, bad people. King Omri was Ahab's father, and Elijah was sent to Ahab to speak to him, knock him into shape. And it says there, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who had gone before him. There had been bloodshed, assassinations, murder, immorality, deception, hatred, and massive idolatry across the kingdom. This nation who God had established, who it was on his heart, this nation is God's heart, had just turned away completely. Boy, boy, then comes Ahab. And the word says he was worse than all the others. So you can imagine the sort of 200 years of evil buildup oozing out of this man. And then to top it all, now in all the other references to all the other kings, they don't mention who they were married to. Okay? It just says, King so-and-so reigned, da-da-da-da. But with Ahab, says, number one, he was worse than all the rest. And on top of that, he married Jezebel. Only woman, queen, that was mentioned with all the kings. So there must be something in there, yeah? when she gets mentioned in the word. And they served together, and they worshipped Baal. And they didn't just worship him, they constructed um, all sorts of idol and worship places to worship God, I mean Baal. 
And in this um, ball, and it's important to the whole series from here on in, okay? Um, it's, It's important to get this. Baal was the god of rain and fertility. Yeah? So central to Baal's campaign was the strap line, rain and fertility. Yeah? So the people over a 200-year period had slid further and further and further away from the intended purpose of the nation. They had walked away from the very heart of God. And in its place, in God's place, the one and only true God was this massive idolatry. Quite interesting, idolatry is the root of lawlessness. So if we have to look at our streets and what's going on, the root of lawlessness and killing each other actually is idolatry. That's today's teaching. I'm not going to do it today. But it's really interesting to go and have a look at that. Wherever you see lawlessness, go and have a look at the root. And it comes down to worshipping a false god, a false thing, whether it's consumerism, um, an ism of some sort or another. It is the root. Lawlessness is the root. So, that is the context in which our prophet Elijah steps in. It doesn't tell us anything about him, what he looked like. Um, It didn't tell us. All we know is where he came from, and that's it. But he steps in. So he steps into the center stage. We don't know how he got into the palace. We don't know how he was introduced to Ahab. We have no idea. But all we can imagine is that, boom, he's there in Ahab's face. And he declares and pronounces, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, this is amazing because what he's doing while he's in Ahab's face saying, listen, mate, I'm a prophet of God. I'm standing here before you and I'm saying, boom, piercing the heart of the ball and idolatry. There will be neither dew nor rain these years until I say so. Now, what have we heard about Ahab and all his ancestors? Murderous, thieving, idolatrous. Um, I think Elijah, I was going to say something rude, but he must have been a real gutsy guy. He had a pair to get before and in Ahab's face and say, you know what? It's not going to rain until I say so. And what does the Lord say? Immediately, the Lord says to Elijah, go away from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the book of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, and it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. 
Now, I don't know if you know, I mean, when we did the Saturdays and, you know, on the street and, or you're in a prayer meeting and you're really touched by the Lord and you feel the Spirit and you're under the unction and you're doing it, you're prophesying and praying and preaching and, and you just get this energy and you want to just go out and save the world. You want to, whoa, have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Can I pray for you? Can I prophesy? So I can just imagine Elijah must have said, whoa, what's that, Lord? You're taking me out of the con. What are you doing? I've only just pronounced my first thing. Where's my ministry now? Look at all the other prophets. They did great things. What about me? And God says, no. Go away. Go away and hide yourself. Oh, man. Being an in your t- t- you know, type person like me, <laughs> I would have been gutted. How dare you, Lord? Just cut me off like that. I'm just getting going. You've given me a word. You've given me a vision. Why can't I keep going? And the Lord says, no, go away. Hide yourself. Would you be gutted? If you've just started something, day one of a job, and you think this is great, and God says, go and hide yourself. And you say, no, Lord, how dare you? You can't do that to me. I'm your person. How can you cut me off? There is so much in this Cherith. How did you pronounce it? Cherith. Cherith, Cherith. Okay. There is so much value of hiddenness and being willing to let go of what we know. It is so important, the season of hiddenness. We may think we know what God knows. We may think we know what God's plan is, but actually we don't. We have a smidgen of information in a whole scheme of the universe. We have just the smidgen of a word, a prayer. Important, yes. But actually, in God's plan, it's just a smidgen. Yeah, it's just a bit of dust. And it is so important to be able to say, yes, Lord, okay, I let go. Done that, given the word, sung my song, preached my preach, been on the streets, done whatever I need to do, but actually I now let it go. And I come into hiddenness with God. What I love about this cherith is God's direction includes God's provision. And there have been so many times in my life when I've been moved into, because I'm such a, you know, I've had to be taken into this hidden place on a regular basis. (laughs) Um, I've been panel beated because I didn't get the lesson. Yeah, I didn't get the lesson. And I would sort of, oh, why are you doing this to me? Okay, how am I going to survive? But actually, God's provision is always there in that time of hiddenness. Cherith is not a bad thing. It's not a bad place. There's provision. And God had said that to him. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you. Ravens typically are not nice birds. 
they nick things, they kill other birds, they, ugh, they've got that sort of scary look. They're often used in sort of horror monster movies, yeah? As the, you know. So ravens typically are not good, but God uses the raven. He's saying, you know what? I can use anyone and anything in nature for your provision. So imagine every morning, bit of water, nice sandwich, yep, through the day, evening, water from the brook, everyone else around you starving, everyone else is dying of thirst, dying of hunger, but every morning you've got the water, you've got this sandwich from the ravens, and in the evening before you go to bed. Another thing about living um, in Cherith was living a day at a time. God didn't say to Elijah, after Cherith, here's plan B, plan C, here's the sort of Gantt chart. This is what you're going to be doing week one, week two, week three. There was no planning as far as Elijah knew. And he had to trust God. He could have been a Cherith forever. He did not know that. He did not know that. So Cherith, being willing to let go of what we know. God's direction includes provision. His word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will meet all your needs. Elijah had to learn this. He had to learn about living a day at a time. God's grace is new every morning, not next week. Every morning. A dried up brook is often a sign of God's pleasure, not disappointment. This is one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn. Lord, why don't you love me anymore? What have I done wrong? Why have you extracted me from a situation? What's wrong with me? And I have been at this point many times saying, what is it? What have I done wrong? Why have you cut me off? Why aren't I allowed to do that anymore? You gave me the vision. You've been training me. I've been at Cherith a hundred times already, and I'm only 57. What is it? What have I done? And again, this is a key message. Elijah is starting his walk with God. He is starting his ministry. He is called to radically change a nation. He is called to bring down the stronghold of Baal. He's called to reverse 200 years of godlessness. He's sent to Cherith. He doesn't really know for how long. And at Cherith, he's fed every day. He's watered daily. But then the brook dries up. And I need to just say this again. A dried up brook is often a sign of God's pleasure, not disappointment. How many of us, you, have experienced situations where you've had no control and the circumstance and the situation suddenly pushes you in a new direction? 
How many of you have lost a job? How many of you have been made redundant or retrenched? How many of you have seen a loved one die and pass away? How many have been divorced? bad one in the room. Yeah, thank you. How many of you have experienced um, falling in love? Oh, for heaven's sake. Okay. All those married guys? (laughs) Okay. How many of you have experienced falling in love? Yeah. And doesn't it just change your view of life suddenly? It's like, oh, oh, the sun is shining, the butterflies and whatever. There are circumstances that will radically change what we are doing and how we are doing it. And it challenges our perception of who we are, where we are, and what what we're called to do. And nine times out of ten... For most of us, it is a circumstance that changes something, okay? Um, And we often look at it. Just recently, Mitchell um, was told, um, Mitchell and Becky, been in their little love nest um, since they married, and suddenly they got a note saying, actually, the landlord wants to sell the property. (gasps) It was like, oh, what do we do? And um, I said to Mitchell, you know what? When things like this happen, it's normally for good. It's really crappy going through that little phase of um, transition, but actually there's something better. And he's, oh, yeah. I said, you know what? It's, it's for good. Um, within two weeks, they'd found a new property twice the size, same amount of money. They'd paid everything, and they said, oh, now we don't have any money <laughs> to live on for the rest of the month. And I said, Mitchell, what have I taught you over the years? God provides. If God has brought the circumstance into, into happening... If it's short, sharp, catches your attention, you've got to actually act. He will provide. Yeah? And I said, and you also know, Mitchell, that God does it at the last minute. So just hold your breath, (laughs) keep strong, (laughs) keep believing. And, you know, and mom's purse not happening. So just, you know, I do not come in as a divine intervention. So... They were now packing day before they're about to, no, they don't even have money for groceries. Day before, they're now packing, butter, butter, butter. They find 200 pounds under their bed. Yeah? Cash money. Wedding money that they'd forgotten about. So whoever gave it, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> it came in useful. But last minute, yeah? Um, Mitchell's on disability allowance. Um, they paid it a week early on the Friday. They were moving the Saturday. Becky normally gets paid um, at the end of the month. For some reason, pay went through that Friday. Um, somebody else phoned them and said, oh, it's just been laid on my heart. I want to give you 300 pounds. Yeah? This is the way God operates. But it's when we get that, uh, that jolt that we seem to lose all sense and all teaching <laughs> goes out the door because of the shock. So, the dried brook is often a sign of God's pleasure. It means you're being moved into something different. I don't personally like this idea of going up yeah, in our spirituality. I believe it is more pilgrimage. Um, it is a time of moving from here to there. 
as opposed to moving here to there. Yeah? <coughs> That's just my personal reflection. Others may think differently. As I've been, as you know, I've been traveling. It all has been for work, by the way. It's not pleasure. And it literally is 8 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. So the photographs on Facebook, etc., belie the actual work <laughs> that's going on in the background. But firstly, wherever I've been recently, God has been showing me foundations. And literally right outside my hotel window, everywhere. So in Bangladesh, in India, in Turkey, in South Africa, he has been showing me foundations. So both, this is Bangladesh, oh no, that's Turkey, that's South Africa, these foundations. And he's been saying to me, number one, okay, about laying the foundations for, for the future, understand that one. But what he's been saying to me is, in terms of our faith, we need to be incredibly rooted and grounded in his love. We need to be rooted and grounded in the certainty of his hope. Yeah? And what really fascinated me, especially you see it more in the Turkey one, are these layers. Can you see the foundations that have been dug? Now, if you look at the old foundations for those old little houses and that, they're quite shallow. But when you see this one here in particular, the layers of foundation that have to be dug through so things can start to grow, to build. And this, it's really been encouraging, and I've got, you know, chucked off construction sites because I've gone wandering in. It's okay, Lord, what more do you want to say? Um, and certain people don't really appreciate that. But it's really fascinated me, this thing of foundations. And this is what we see happening to Elijah. Because these foundations are very dark. They're very deep. They're hidden. Once that building comes up, we don't see the foundation, do we? No? Let's take a more natural thing. We look at the trees. Do we see the foundation? No. So how do we know that tree will stand in the storm? We have faith. <laughs> Trust. But Elijah is going through this process. He's right down at the bottom of the foundation. He's being excavated. <laughs> and these layers are being moved away. I want us just to have a bit of time of reflection. And I know it's sort of mid-sermon, but um, I'm in charge. Um, but this was laid... But this was really laid on my heart very strongly last night for individuals, for us here, that the Holy Spirit really wanted to do a work. And I'm going to read something from Chuck um, Swindoll, um, Charles Swindoll, his book on, on Elijah. Does that boot camp, that laying of foundation, sound familiar to any of you? At one time, you knew the full joy of a good bank account, a booming business, an exciting, ever-expanding career, a magnificent ministry, but the brook has dried up. At one time, you knew the joy of using your voice to sing to the Lord's praises. Then a growth developed on your vocal cords requiring surgery, but the surgery moved more than the growth. It also took away your lovely singing voice. The brook has dried up. 
you finished college, stepped into a promising profession, and surrounded yourself with stimulating, gifted individuals. At the zenith of your career, things changed. Money got tight. Your best friends moved away. Most are now gone, and the future is bleak. The brook has dried up. Your partner in life has grown indifferent and has recently asked for a divorce. There's no longer any affection and no promise of change. The brook has dried up. He goes on to say, in my own times when the brook has dried up and I found myself wondering about things I've believed and preached for years, what happened? Has God died? Has my vision got blurry? My circumstances has caused my thinking to get a little foggy. I looked up and I couldn't see God clearly. To exacerbate the problem, I felt as though he wasn't hearing me. The heavens were like brass. I would speak to him and nothing come back. My brook had dried up. Dried up brooks in no way cancel out God's providential plan. Often they cause it to emerge. I just felt the Holy Spirit wanted us to pause. At some time your brook has dried up. At some point something has happened that's taken you out of what you thought was best. And I just want us to allow the Holy Spirit now to just take us through a little journey of remembrance because I believe he wants to heal that place of when that brook dried out. Did we lose faith? Did we perhaps turn away from God? Did we not learn the lesson that we were meant to learn at that time? Just let him minister to you about your time when the brook dried up. Place. This is the word that God laid on my heart for you today. It's from... Hosea 11. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I had already healed them. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I had already healed them. I led them with cords of a man with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and I fed you. And why I believe this time is quite important Like I said, I've had to go back to Cherith a few times to learn a certain lesson, whatever it might have been. 
And what the Lord is wanting to do is go through some of these layers. He wants us to remember that time that the Holy Spirit, and from this word in Hosea, he himself fed you in that period. He ministered. He wrapped his arms around you. We're into the new day. He wants to make sure those foundations are solid. That the past dross at the burial of my friend is gone. The bells are ringing over your life saying, my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. So we're on the move again. Elijah, brook has dried up. He is commissioned. Now, he's been in front of the king. You'd think he'd be sent back to the court. And what does God do? He sends him to a widow. He sends him to a widow. And in those days, widows were the poorest of the poor. They were broken. They were destitute. They had no protection. There'd been this... um, drought and famine for nearly three and a half years. People were desperate. And he's commanded, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went. Pretty dire. He gets there. The woman is gathering sticks, asks for food, which you think that's a bit fresh. Woman's starving. How can you take food from her? Um, But hey, the providential plan is there. Going through this quickly, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends the rain on the face of the earth. It was a gift that kept on giving. Yeah? Please go and read this because I'm running out of time now. (laughs) So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. I love that. But what I really love is if we look at this whole story of Elijah and this woman and her giving her very last crust, basically, because she said that I'm going home to die now. Pretty dire, yeah? Um, How the situation turned around. And what I love about this is obedience drives action. Elijah heard... He arose and went. The woman heard, she went and did. Love it, okay? Love it. When we hear that whisper of God, when we know it's time to move, let's get active. Let's do something when that season changes. Certainty of God's plan. The journey from Cherith to Zarephath It was right through Ahab's land and the stronghold of Baal. So this wasn't a pleasant walk in the country. There must have been a a, um, hitman out for him. He defended Ahab dreadfully. We see that later people had been sent to kill him. So in this season, now he's the guy who's caused this famine and this drought. (laughs) And God's sending him right through the territory back to the widow. But what we see here is the certainty of God's plan. In that time in Cherith, 
God had prepared Elijah and he had prepared the widow to give and Elijah to trust God's plan, trust God's word. The certainty of God's provision. Certainty because of Cherith. He could pronounce to that woman, your flour and oil will not run dry. How could he have so much certainty? Because of Cherith. Why because of Cherith? Because of being fed every morning, fed every evening. He had a certainty of God's provision. I love this bit as well because this has been my experience. The people God uses to build our faith, it's not the person you would imagine. Don't be deceived by first impressions. I mean, Elijah must have walked up to this woman for heaven's sake, she's about to die. She's got no food. How can she give something to me? Can you imagine this going through his head? It would mine. I'd have that whole guilt thing. How can I steal from the poor? How can I take from the poor? Oh, my word, is she going to die? It's going to be my guilt. Don't be deceived by first impressions. God uses the most remarkable, unsuspecting people to build our faith. And actually, Jesus mentions this in Luke 4, 25. Judgment had come on the nation. Yeah, There was drought, there was famine. And yet God had chosen an impoverished Gentile woman, widow, to engage with Elijah, using what he'd learned to be shared faith-building episode. So his faith was built, her faith was built, and the oil and bread flowed. Okay? She was a Gentile. She wasn't an Israelite. And Jesus warns in Luke be careful. And I've seen this actually on the street. We, we see, when we were out on the street, we'd see people healed. We'd, we'd pray for people, the reception and, you know, lives being changed somehow. And yet for, within the church, we seem to think, oh, you know, Lord, and we question and we question. And God's saying, you know what? There are people out there, if you just give, they will give. Okay. And Jesus speaks quite clearly about it in Luke. I'm rushing on. And then always back to Jesus. And when I first read this passage, I just thought, you know what? It's always Jesus. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Yeah? So we've sprung forward. Christ has been on the cross. He's given us the hope of eternal life. He's forgiven us our sins. He's delivered us from the past. It's all about Jesus. That you and I can sit here today, we will never thirst and we will never hunger. 
because of Jesus. And I, that just excites me endlessly that we have the gift, the oil of the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to walk blind through this life. He is our comforter. He is the oil that mixes into that bread and water of life. Every experience you have had in life, bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. He can use it. He can use it. I was with a political leader in South Africa. I was born in this bonkers little village. I was nervous meeting this man. I thought, oh, what am I going to say? I don't know what to say, Lord. Um, This is like up there for me. And walked in, introduced, sat down. He was telling me something. His wife was born in the same village as me. Immediately, I became sister comrade. Okay? And immediately, we went from a 45 scheduled meeting to two hours. And God was in that room. A bonkers little thing. A bonkers little thing. And yet God used it 57 years later to open a door. He can take whatever we give him. Our little flower, our little bit of oil, bring it to him. Look at the guy, the kid with his fishes and loaves. What did Jesus do with it? He fed a multitude. Every experience you have had in life, give it to him. And he will use it. I witness to this day in and day out. He has taken me to places that I would never have imagined. And it's all built on those foundations. Every experience, every time at the brook of Cherith. And he wants us today. Bring it. Bring it, and he will touch it. That oil will touch it. Everybody, there is a plan and a purpose for your life. Everybody has something to do in the kingdom of God. Nothing is wasted. He wants you to bring it. And he says there, I'm never going to leave you. I love you. My son died so that you will never thirst. My son died so that you will never go hungry again. And he wants you to believe it. Amen.